Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. We have the privilege of representing that great name, reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. We've been talking about maximizing your life, and today we're going to talk about maximizing your reflection of Jesus Christ, because that's what we're called to do. The Bible tells us, and, Pete, and, and Paul has told Titus, look, you're there to represent Christ on the island of Crete. The island of Crete was a wicked place. In fact, in Titus chapter 1, God says about them that they are always lying. They are evil beasts. They are slow bellies. All they think about is themselves. They're evil. They're mean. They're wicked. Uh, that's what God said about these people on Crete. We live in a world so much like that. We live in a world that doesn't know right from wrong. We live in a reprobate culture. We, get, we live in a culture that calls green blue and, and red yellow, and they don't know the difference. They think men should marry men and women should marry women, and, and they think that it's all right for a woman to dress up like a man and go and teach children, and it's just a strange world that we find ourselves in. We've seen a, a, just a great change in the last uh, couple of years here in our culture in America. We need to understand that God hasn't called us, though, to rip up other people. God has called us to reflect Christ in an ungodly world. Say amen to that. God wants us to understand that. And so he goes through the book of Titus. Paul is instructing him how to live. He tells Titus in chapter 2, he says, listen, you tell the old men to live this way. You tell the old women to live this way. You tell the younger women to live this way. You tell the younger men to live this way. And you tell servants to live this way. Now he summarizes all of that in chapter 3. And that's where we start today. He starts by saying, put them in mind in Titus chapter 3. Put them in mind. I want you to remind them of some things. I want you to remind them about who they are and how they should behave. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Before we do, let's pray. God teaches from your word. Help us to take truth that is here and not just hear it and let it go out the other ear. Help us to receive truth and take this and live it this week. Because, Father, if the world doesn't see you in us. If they don't see you, Lord Jesus, in us, then they're not going to see him at all. And I pray, Father, that you would just work through this. Help us to be a reflection of who you are in our world. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was 17 years old when my mother said to me, David, I'm going to take a trip back to Pennsylvania. And I think you're old enough as a senior in high school to take care of yourself for a week or two in, uh, in this uh, trailer that we lived in. We live in a trailer park in North Las Vegas. She said, I'm going to leave. And she said, you've got a car. You can take care of yourself. Your grandmother is very, very sick. I'm going to go back and I'm going to see her um, and, uh, because it might be my last opportunity to see her. So she got in a plane uh, flying away. She said, she, I took her to the airport, dropped her off. And I'm thinking, man, I'm all by myself in this house for, for, a, for a week, maybe two weeks. I can't remember the exact amount of time. I went back to the house 
I, I shut the door of the house, and there was a list. It's a list. David, do not forget to take out the trash. Don't forget to take care of the cat. Don't forget to, to don't leave peanut butter and jelly on the shelf because the ants will get to it. And don't, and don't, and do, and do, and do it. Just gave me a list of things that I was supposed to do. It was about this long. I can remember the, the sheet of paper about this long. And the last command was love mother. I'm going to prove to my mother that I love her by keeping these commandments that she's given me. She said, listen, this is how I want you to behave in my house while I'm gone. It was like a summary of things to do. Well, that's what Paul gives us in Titus chapter 3. He gives a summary of things that we need to do. In fact, he gives us seven key things if we're going to represent Christ that he wants us to do and he wants us to understand. And uh, so he starts, he says, look, Titus, put them, you're the pastor there, make sure you put them in mind. Tell them to remember several things. Number one, he says, to be subject to authority. Be subject to authorities. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, in the Word of God, we have, uh, God talks about several different types of authorities in our, in our life. God has given us, first of all, parental authority. God's place, when, when you got married, or when you got, when you were born, you were born into a family. God's plan is for you to be born into a family with a mother and a father. Now, we've messed up that plan, but God's plan is one man and one woman for one lifetime raising children, and that way, when a child's brought into the world, he has two authority figures, and they, they fence that child and protect that child until he's old enough to take care of, or she's old enough to take care of herself and to be set off on on her own. So that, that is, a, God's put them in your life as an authority figure. So God placed in my wife and I's family five children. To, and they, we, are, we were their first authority figures. God, God wants that. God wants parental authority. God wants to protect your, you, you to protect your children and wants children protected. And he puts authority there. There's also in the Bible, and this is not popular and Hillary wouldn't like this, but uh, the, there, is, there is a spousal authority. Uh, in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says, submit yourself one to another in the fear of God. And the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. If I want to know, if I'm a child and I want to know the will of God, I can go to my parents and say, uh, parents, what do you think I should do? Sometimes a wife will come to my wife and I and say, and say, listen, I'm praying about doing something and I really don't know whether it's God's will or not. And my, my, my statement would be, have you asked your husband what he thinks about it? And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no, but my, my statement will always be, hey, ask your husband what he thinks because that's what the word of God says to do. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, just as though they're the Lord. You can get God's will from your husband. Uh, even if he's a wicked, ungodly, terrible person, God can use him to direct your life. So, so there's, uh, there's uh, parental authority, there's spousal authority, then there's spiritual authority. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that, that as a Christian, I'm to submit myself to the powers that be within the local church. So God gives us, God gives us uh, spiritual authorities. But in this particular passage, he's not talking about uh, parental authority or spousal authority or spiritual authority. He's talking about civil authority. He's talking about civil authority because he says it. He says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers and to obey magistrates. So he's talking about being uh, in subject as a citizen to, to um, civil authority. Now, in our culture, 
what is the civil authority? What is what are the principles? The, the idea there, it says the principalities. The word principalities comes from the primary source of authority. So we are to submit ourselves to the primary source of our authority. As Christians in America, That if I was in a dictatorship, that would mean that I would have to submit myself to the dictator. If I was in um, uh, a monarchy, I would have to submit myself to the, to the monarch. In our culture, as Christians in America, we're to submit ourselves to the principal authority. The principal authority in our country is the Constitution of the United States. That is who we are. People say, well, we live in a democracy. No, we do not live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. We live in a, in, a, in a country that is supposed to be governed by laws. And the laws are determined by we the people. That's the, the first statement in the Constitution. So God has given us a Constitution, and you and I, as citizens, are to submit ourselves to that Constitution and do everything we can to see that that Constitution is uh, is. is uh, kept. We are, we the people are the final authority at, under the Constitution of the United States. People say, hey, uh, we should never say, we should never disagree with the president or the vice president or the Congress or senators or governors. That's not true. You need to understand in a constitutional republic, they are answerable to us. Thank you for one or two. Uh, that, that we, we need, we, and you need to understand this. And this isn't a political speech. We just need to understand this. If I am commanded by God to submit to the primary authority, I'm to submit to the Constitution. And what I do in a constitutional republic is we, we elect representatives of what we believe. If they, if, and they are our employees. So the president of the United States is our employee. The vice president is our employee. Our senators, our congressmen, you need to understand that as Christian citizens, they are our employees. And if they don't do right, then we have the responsibility to fire them. And we do that through voting. Say amen to that. That's it. So, so, so we are, we are, uh, we're to submit, though, to the authority. Now, he, uh, and, and so we need, to, we need to be aware. If, if God's given us the responsibility to do that, then it's, we should know we should know that Constitution. We should understand that Constitution. That's one of the reasons in one of our connection classes we te- we've taught about the Constitution. We do that because it's important that we as Christians be biblical citizens, and, and that is so, so important. So, so we're to submit to authority. And, and that is to obey, the, the basic bottom line is we are to obey the law. But not only does he say principalities, he says to, to powers and to obey magistrates. The word magistrates means those that enforce the law. We're supposed to show respect to those who enforce the law. P- police officers enforce the law. Judges enforce the law. We are to, uh, by, by the way, they're not supposed to give us new laws, but, they're, but we're supposed to respect and submit to a police officer. Why, what if I think the police officer has a bad attitude? doesn't matter. You're supposed to submit to the authority that God has given to them. And you need to understand that God uses authority. So civil authorities, whether it's the city or the, or the county or whether it's, whether it's a police officer or what it is, what we need to do is submit 
to authority. Well, what if I think the authorities are ungodly? That's okay. God's used ungodly authorities throughout history. Throughout history. When, when Israel was wicked and vile and, and disobedient to God, God said to Jeremiah, he said, I'm sending a man named Nebuchadnezzar, and he is going to be, he's going to be, the, he, he's going to invade your nation, and you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Uh, this guy was a wicked man. Nebuchadnezzar was a vile man. But God said, I'm going to bring him, and he will be my servant to bring you into captivity. Why? Because they had so violated and so disobeyed God that they were dishonoring the name of God. And God said, I've got to get you back into shape. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is give you a dictator who's going to just mess the whole thing up, and then you'll be able to rebuild it. And 70 years later, they were rebuilding by another wicked dictator who sent them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls in Nehemiah's day. I'm just telling you that God has used people, authorities, throughout history, even in the time of Christ. What happened? Jesus came in submission to authority. He obeyed the Father. He came to earth. There was wicked authorities. There were wicked Jewish leaders. He, obey, he, he, he submitted himself to them to a false, wicked trial, and then to a Roman uh, a Roman, uh, uh, a, a Roman governor whose name was Pilate, he submitted himself to that wicked, wicked man who sentenced him to death, though he knew he was innocent. And I'm glad that Jesus submitted to authority because when he did, he went to a cross and suffered and died an agonizing death. He suffered hell for us on the cross to pay for our sins, and he did that in submission to the Roman government. See, God wants us to understand that he uses, he uses government, even vile governments, to, uh, to shape and mold and direct our lives, and it was through that, his death, burial, and resurrection, that we get saved. I can now come to Jesus and ask Jesus to save me because he died, was buried, and rose from the dead for me. I have eternal life because Jesus submitted to authority. We need to learn to submit to authority. You know, there are times in your life that you think, well, how, how can I know what God wants me to do? Uh, and, and God will give you that direction as you submit to authority. When I was, uh, when I was, when I went to college, I met Anna, in, I met Anna in October of my first year. Man, I fell in love. I mean, I was like head over heels in love. She was the most beautiful thing uh, that I ever saw, and she was actually paying attention to me. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to lose this thing. I wanted to get married like by November. And uh, I mean, I mean I, I'm very impulsive, and I thought this will be great, and this will be, this is like the rest of my life. And her mother, who was her authority, because you're still under parental authority until you are married. And so her mother, though we were 18 years old, her mother very wisely said, David, uh, you need to understand, uh, you, can, you can date my daughter, but you can't marry her until you graduate. Both of you are going to graduate before you get married. Man, that was the longest three and a half years of my life waiting to marry this gorgeous, beautiful lady who, uh, who I wanted to marry like right now. But I'm so glad we submitted to authority 
and said, yes, because I'm telling you, I've watched all sorts of kids go to college, get, get married at the first and second and third year of college, and then drop out of college and never accomplish the things that they dreamed about accomplishing. But because we submitted to the authority of her mother, we avoided that mistake. We need to learn that God uses authorities in our life. And we were ready to come out here 46 years ago and, and start a church. I didn't know whether God wanted us here or not. I didn't know whether God wanted me to start a church uh, in Las Vegas or to continue working in a church in North Carolina. This church in North Carolina had started two years earlier. They asked me to come and work with them. And so for a year and a half or two years, I was working with this church plant in North Carolina. It became the fastest growing church in the state of North Carolina. And I was the youth pastor. And I could have come off, uh, c- graduated and, and gone to work. And I would have a secure position. And I thought, but I started getting burdened about coming to Las Vegas. Well, how do I know that this is God's will? I thought, hey, authority. God uses authority. So I thought, who are the authorities in my life? The authorities in my life were Anna's mother because she, she wasn't married yet. And so she was her th- authority. My mother was my authority. And my, uh, my pastor was my authority. He was my spiritual authority. So I had parental authority and I had pastoral authority. And so I thought, I'll just wait. God, if you want me to go to Las Vegas, you let me know through, through my authorities. That week, my, my, my mother, my now mother-in-law, uh, called, uh, called Anna, and she said, Anna, she said, I just want you to know there's something that's on my heart and mind. She said, I, I just want you to know I really believe. Now, you've got to understand, this is a miracle. Uh, my, my wife grew up in Pennsylvania in a very protected environment out in the country, and she's like looking at marrying a guy from Las Vegas, Nevada. And her mother was really, real cautious about that. I mean, the whole three and a half years, I'm sure, when she said, you got to wait till you graduate, was that maybe my daughter will come to her senses uh, in that three and a half year period. And so she, she called, but she called up my wife that week and said, and said uh, Anna, I think that God's going to lead you and David to go to Las Vegas and start a church. I thought, wow, that's a miracle. But I still have two more authorities. Well, my mother called me the same week. And she said, I just want you to know, I think God's going to lead you to come out here and start a church in Las Vegas. I thought, wow, that's two down. But I said, the third one's going to be really tough, God, because my pastor, I mean, I'm his youth pastor. I'm invaluable to him. Uh, He's not going to let me go. And that Saturday, I walked into his office. When I walked into his office, I went in there to give him six months of plans for the next six months, what I was going to do with the youth department. And he said, he said, Brother Dave, we can talk about that. But first, he said, I, I want to talk to you about something that's on my mind. I said, what's that? He said this. He said, David, I, I don't think that you're going to be happy until you go to Nevada. Now, forgive him. He's from the South. He said, he said, he said to Nevada and start a church. I said, wow. And when, I, when he said that, look, a little a burden that I did not know was on my shoulders lifted off my shoulders. And I thought, wow, this is what God wants me to do. Why? I learned to submit to authority. God speaks to us through authority. You need to understand that as we submit to authority, we're, we're proving to those out there that we believe that God's in control that we trust God, and we're reflecting Jesus Christ by submitting to authority. So he said, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and to power and to obey magistrates. And then he said this, number two, he said, be subject to every good work. 
He said uh, uh, to be ready to every good work. Do good work. Second thing. Second thing on the list. First be in submission to authority. And number two, do good works. Now, the word good is used ten times in the book of Titus. And in the last chapter, it's used three times. And there are two different words that are translated good. The first good means this, the, the, uh, choosing good over bad. So he's saying, look, when you, when you are making a choice, choose the good over the bad. Now, you need to do that. Every day, you have choices to make. You make choices between what is good and what is bad. Like when you go to the refrigerator, you know, and you see the celery, and then there's, there's the ice cream. And you have to choose the good or the bad, and, and oftentimes we choose the wrong thing. Um, you have to make that choice, good or bad. Uh, you, are you going to sit down and you're going to watch television? And you have to choose between the good or the bad. If it's good, it's probably in black and white because nothing uh, in the last 40 years has been really good. You have to make a choice. Am I going to do the good or am I going to do the bad? That's the first word, good. The second word, good, is this. It's the word, uh, it, it means to, to do the very best. Choose not just to do good, but to do the best, to do to, to go beyond, do the very best you can. It is a, uh, it, it's the idea of, okay, I can, I can just get it done or I can do it excellently. The word excellent is very good. I want to make sure I do an excellent job. Why? Because I'm reflecting Christ and Christ always does the best. So he's saying go beyond just doing uh, just choosing good, but do it the very best you can. When I was in college, I was in, I was in a, or I started actually a ministry called the King's Campaigners, and we would go out on the street and we would do street preaching. And what I did was we had a great big board, and I would do paintings on that board, and uh, we'd get people to, we'd get musicians from the college to play music, and, and we would draw a crowd by, do, by drawing these pictures and, and the music playing. And then once we got a crowd around, I would begin to preach the gospel. And we would tell people out in parks and in, in, uh, in malls and that kind of stuff to tell people how to get saved. That's what we did. Well, that, we had an opportunity to travel one Christmas to, uh, to Tennessee, where uh, we got there and uh, uh, had several different meetings preaching. Now, I, we got there on a, uh, we got there by, uh, through a, through using a, a guy's car, but that car was gone. I had no way to get back to uh, to school after that. Those meetings were over, and I was just trusting God. Well, there was a, a one of our team members was there, lived there in in Tennessee where we were in Memphis, and she had an aunt, very wealthy aunt, and her aunt liked me and wanted to help me to go back to get back to school, but she didn't want to just give me the money because she didn't want to embarrass me because, and I wouldn't have been embarrassed, I'd have taken free money anytime. Uh, so, but uh, she said, she said, uh, she said, do you think that I could like, she said to her, to her niece, my friend, she said, do you think if I had him come over and do some yard work that, uh, that that would help him? And she said, yeah. So, so I, they had a, a family get-together and asked me if I could come over and just rake the leaves in, ten, in her backyard. I thought, man, that's easy. And, and then she's going to pay my way back to, 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 uh, 
to college. Well, I, I, I grew up in Las Vegas. Now, I, I want to explain something to you. If you've grown up in Las Vegas, Justin, this is going to help you. We don't have leaves in Las Vegas. Tennessee has leaves. This was right, at Thanksgiving, this was right after Thanksgiving, and I'm telling you, I got in that backyard, and I saw leaves. I mean, this is amazing. Now, I had determined that I wasn't going to leave a single leaf on the ground. And I looked in that backyard, and I thought, man, look at these leaves. And I'm, I'm raking leaves up, and I'm raking leaves up. I'm not, did she, I want to make sure I represent Christ. I want to make sure that she knows I did the very best. There have never been a cleaner lawn than this. And I'm raking leaves, and I'm raking leaves. I, I did not know. When you rake leaves up in Tennessee and put them in the bag, other leaves grow. Uh, they just come up out of the grass. They just come up. It doesn't matter how much you rake. Demons cast the leaves in the backyards of Tennessee. It's amazing. You just can't get all the leaves up. And I worked, I, like three or four hours, I'm out there getting these leaves all raked up, and they just keep coming back and coming back, and I'm really disappointed until the lady walked out. And she said, are you still out? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, whoa. I have never seen my yard this clean. Man, what a job. And I thought, thank God. <laughs> because I thought, I thought man, I, I'm doing a terrible job, the best I could. But the deal is, we need to give the very best. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, don't just do make good over bad, but do the very best you can. Do the very best you can. So first, he says submit. Number two, he says do good. The third thing he says is treat people right. Look at verse two. He says, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So now he says, here's the third thing I want you to do. You teach them, you teach people to treat people right. What does that mean? It means, it means he says, number one, don't speak evil of them. It's so easy to say evil things about people. It's so easy to have a down in the mouth. It's so easy to find fault. It's so easy to say, hey, uh, you know, I know what that guy says, but, but, but here's what he really is. It's so easy to say somebody's a jerk or somebody is that, that, that idiot or, or, or whatever. I have a friend named Dave Young who's a, a traveling evangelist. He's been here and preached, and Dave, Dave has to drive all over the country, and he, and he has a real problem with patience with, with people cutting him off. And he, said, he says, as he's driving down the road, somebody will cut him off and he'll say, look at that, that. And, his, and he wants to say they're a jerk or something, and his wife will say, honey, just remember, they need Jesus. They just need Jesus. Don't you hate people like that? And so, but the idea is very simple. We need to learn to speak, don't, don't speak evil. The word is the same word that's trans, uh, translated blaspheme. Don't speak evil of people. And then he says, don't be a brawler. That is, don't punch people. Don't hit people. That's not a good thing. Uh, about 35, 36 years ago, we were still in the other building, and um, uh, we had a guy named Lonnie Childress. Lonnie Childress lived out in, in Pahrump, and, uh, uh, and Lonnie liked our church, so he would drive every week from Pahrump into Las Vegas, which was about an hour's drive. He worked out at the test site, and he had a boss that really used to get under his skin. Well, Lonnie came in to church. They actually got there a little bit late one morning, and I was preaching, and I was preaching about loving your enemy and not, giving, not returning evil for evil. And I turned around at, at Lonnie, and I said to Lonnie, I said, Lonnie, I said, that means 
you can't, even though you want to, you can't go in Monday morning and punch your boss in the face. And then I went on with my sale. Afterwards, he came up to me and he grabbed me and he said, hey, did my wife talk to you before the service? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, did she say to you anything about our conversation? I said, Lonnie, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, that it was God. Like he was disappointed. I said, what? He said, here's the deal. He said, this past Friday, my boss gave me fits, and I told my wife, I've, I've been steaming about it for the last two days. He said, on my way in, I said to my wife, I said, doesn't matter what goes on. I don't care if I get fired. I don't care if I never get to work for the government again. He said, this is what I'm going to do. Monday morning, I'm just going to walk in. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to walk right up to my boss, and I'm going to punch him right in the face. He said, then I walk in here, I'm told my, I'm, I'm ranting about this all the way to church this morning, and then he said, I walk in, I sit down, and you turn around and point my finger and say, your finger at me and say, hey, doesn't matter what you want to do, don't punch your boss in the face. He said, I thought it might be my wife, but it was God. Uh, listen, God doesn't want us to be brawlers. God doesn't want, God doesn't want you to be a fighter. He, I, I got to prove what I'm right. Listen, the world is fighting each other. The world's going to hell. They can be mean and nasty and terrible, but you cannot be a brawler. You can't get in on that. In fact, he says be gentle. And the word gentle means to be fair, to be kind. And the idea, listen, is understanding. We need to be understanding. There are people with very warped perspectives out there today. We talked about that the first week, and I mentioned a little bit. We got men that want to marry men and women that want to marry women. I want you to understand that's perversion, that's horrible. But I want you to understand that those, and God wants us to understand, those people don't know the truth that you know. Those people are, those, those people have been raised maybe in abusive situations. Maybe they were, maybe they've hung around a lot of hypocritical Christians. And what we need to do is be gentle when we're dealing with people that are, that are doing things that are totally contrary to what we, we say. We need to speak the truth and don't ever stop speaking the truth. And we don't compromise. We saw that last week. We don't compromise with the truth. We saw that in, in chapter 1. He said, rebuke evil. But we need to be gentle and understand, try to understand where they're coming from. Try to understand that, that a person that's had an abortion has, is hurting. And be careful about how we say what we say. Because, because uh, if, if we're just condemning, we can never win somebody to Christ. Christ is gentle. Don't speak evil. Don't be a brawler. Don't be, or, or, or be gentle and show meekness. The idea of showing meekness is showing that the only reason that you have the grace that you have is because of what Jesus has done for you. And he's going to go into that in detail in just a minute. Show meekness. Let, your, let people see that you are dependent upon him. And then he says this. He says to do it unto all men. The word men is the word anthropos and it means all mankind. He says you treat everybody this way. Don't speak evil, don't be a brawler, be gentle and show meekness. No matter who they are and no matter how they're treating you, this is how you behave and you're going to reflect Christ and you're going to do it to the max. So we've seen submit to authority, do good, and treat people right. Now why? Why? Look at verse 3 and 4. Here's why. 
For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts, pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Wow. He says, look, you, you need to remember who you were. Remember who you were. And he tells you who you were. You say, well, who was I? Here's who you were. You were foolish when you said you didn't believe in God. You were foolish. The Bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no God. You were foolish. You were disobedient. That is, you chose to do the wrong thing you, that you didn't want to understand. You were unable to be persuaded. That's the word. That word disobedient means you are unable to be persuaded to do right. Some people say, you know, I've talked to that person so many times. There's no hope for them. Forget them. Hey, God didn't forget you. Disobedient. You were deceived. The word deceived means led astray. There were, listen, can I tell you this? ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, politicians, uh, the, the uh, I mean, I'm telling in, in school, everybody's, everybody's leading people astray. All these institutions are leading people astray. Don't get mad at them because they're being led astray. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. But that's who we are. We were just being led astray too. Don't get upset with people because they're led astray. We were serving diverse lusts and pleasure. Sex, food, porn, striving, wanting attention for ourselves. Serving diverse lusts. Living in malice. The idea of malice is desiring revenge. My favorite movies are the movies where the bad guy is just doing, and he's getting away, and he's getting away, and he's getting away with all this stuff, and you're sitting there watching, and you're thinking, oh, no, the good guy's going to get killed. Oh, no, the good guy's going to get killed. And at the last minute, the good guy turns the fence, and boom, the bad guy gets it, and you say, yes. That's a wicked. <laughs> he said you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be uh, living in malice, desiring revenge, and then envy. Envy means wanting what others have so much that you wish they didn't have it. Why are they driving that car? I wish it was mine. It should be mine. I deserve that. They don't deserve that. And then he says, hateful and hating. And the idea is having a, a heart filled with hate and showing that hatred. Jesus says, now listen, Titus says, you got to, or I'm sorry, Paul says to Titus, you got to remember and you got to teach people to to be kind and be gentle and, and be understanding towards all men, towards everyone. Because you've got to remember, look, you were foolish, you were disobedient, you were deceived, you were serving diverse lusts, you were living in malice, you were living in envy, and you were living in hate, and, and you, were living, you were hateful, and you were hating other people. That's who you were. Now look at this. This is so, I love this. Verse 4, but after that, the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards men appeared. After you were foolish and disobedient and deceived and deceiving and loving lust and living for malice and envious and hateful, while you were doing that, after that, God saw you. He looked at you and he saw you. That's who you are. After that, God's kindness and love appeared unto you. Isn't our God wonderful? He saw you the way you are. That's who you were. And God loved you. 
God loved you. You say, yeah, but. <laughs> you can't do that. You need to have a grateful heart. Just the next point. You need to have a grateful heart. Why? Because God loved you and God's love and kindness appeared to you after you were like this. God saved you. And it wasn't by your works of righteousness. Let me read it to you. He says, after, the, after that, after all that wickedness, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, uh, toward men appeared. And it wasn't, now listen, it wasn't because of your works of righteousness which, or anything that we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that changes. He had mercy. He washed us. He regenerated us, which, which he shed on us abundantly. He worked hard at fixing us up. We were a mess through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by grace we should have been, we should be made heirs according to his, uh, to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. These things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which believe in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto man. He, what he's saying here is this simply this. It wasn't, don't you be thinking, well, yeah, I know I was that way, but then I changed. No, you didn't. No, you were a mess. You were all busted up. You were just no good at all for anything. That's what God says about you and me. Before you were, be merciful to others because he found you. You were a mess. I have a friend who has a truck. It's a, wait, wait, he got it. This is what the engine looked like. It was an absolute mess. The body looked worse than this. I saw a picture of it stripped down. It's just absolutely a disaster. Ugly, old truck. The truck was sitting, doing nothing, just, just, here's what the truck was doing. It was sitting and being ugly. That's all it was, just a crummy old truck. Nobody wanted it, nobody cared about it. But my friend named Jamie Allen said, hey, I like that truck. I love that truck. I want that truck. I want to fix that truck. Why? Because the truck was saying, help me, help me. No, the truck could do nothing. The truck was just sitting there rotting away. But Jamie Allen went and he worked on that truck and he, and he spent years, I think, like a year and a half, two years, three years on that truck. Three years he poured into that truck. And what he did was he changed that engine into that engine. That's amazing. And he changed the inside of the truck to look like that. And he made the outside of the truck look so beautiful that a few weeks ago when it got rainwater on it, and Steve Livingston had helped him with that, when it got rainwater on it, Steve said, oh, no, he started crying because rainwater was on the truck because it was so beautiful. And he protects that truck. He watches out for that truck. When everybody else is parking real close, he parks way away so nobody will ding his truck. Why? Because the truck did something? No, Jamie fell in love with a piece of junk and wanted to make it into a masterpiece. You need to understand that truck did nothing. That truck did nothing. That truck didn't wash itself, didn't clean itself, didn't get ready itself. It just sat there being a dirty old truck. But Jamie changed it. I want you to understand this. God says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed abundantly upon us. 
Jesus left his eternal throne so that he could change you into something worth having. And we need to understand that. That's what he did. And by the way, when he did that, look at, verse, look at verse 7. He gave us three specific benefits. This is what he did for us. The Bible says that being justified by grace, he declared you righteous. The word justified means declared righteous. That means, Philip, no matter what you do, no matter what anybody says about you, that God said you're righteous. Well, somebody comes and says, well, I don't like it. But he said you're righteous. It doesn't matter what accusations Satan, I saw him, God. God said, no, no, he's righteous. He's the God of the universe. He's the ultimate judge. And when he says you're righteous, you're righteous. Nobody can make any accusations against me ever. I get to go to heaven. In fact, he says not only are you declared righteous, he says we are heirs to everything that belongs to Jesus. Everything that's his is now mine. That's amazing. I'm declared righteous, so in the sight of God, I am totally perfect. Uh, everything that belongs to Jesus is now mine because I'm his little brother. And then we have the hope of eternal life. One day you may hear that Dave Tice died, but that will be a lie. I will never die. I will live forever. And so will you if you've put your faith and trust in Christ. Why? Because he gave us eternal life. When you asked him to save you, he didn't give you life until you sin the next time. He didn't give you life until the next time you blow it. He gave you eternal life. You know what? I just thought about this. If Jamie was driving down the road in that truck and somebody smashed in to the back of his car and messed up the fender, Jamie wouldn't say, oh, stupid truck. You know, he'd say, oh, he'd say, oh, no, my baby. And he'd say, as soon as I can, I'm going to get to work on that and maybe spend three more years fixing it up again because it's his truck. You're so much more precious to Jesus. Nothing's going to take you away from him. In fact, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So he says, he says, look, be kind to other people because you need to remember who you are and you need to have a grateful heart for what God has done for you. Then he gives a couple more things. Look at this in verse 9. He says, avoid foolish questions. He says, but, foolish and un, uh, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. Very basically, he says, look, don't be fighting with people about stuff they want to fight about. Back then, they were fighting about genealogies. Who was really related to Jesus? What tribe did they come from? And they were fussing about those things and who was more important than others. He said, don't fuss with people about that. People want to contend with you about different things. Just don't fight with them. They're striving about the law. There are people that say, hey, well, I don't think if, if, if they're really saved, they wouldn't be doing this and they wouldn't be doing that and they should do this and they should do that. There's a whole group of people who want, want to get us back under messianic laws and all that kind of stuff. Listen, don't fight with people about them. If somebody chooses to be wrong, let them be wrong. See, uh, 
he says, after you've tried to teach the truth to somebody the first and second time, and they, they're not trying to be taught, they, in fact, they want to teach you, just stay away from them. He says they're subverted. The word means turned inside out. It's like reprobate. They, they sin. They're choosing right or choosing wrong over right, and he says they're condemning themselves. You can't do anything about that. I thought about that. I thought about a bent nail. Have you ever tried to unbend a bent nail? I, I, I was building a, a, back east, building a, 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 a shed with, with tray, and we had a bucket, I mean a bucket, two full buckets of nails. But I would go in and I'd start nailing up a, a, a piece of wood, and the nail would bend. And I'd think, oh, I, well, I can unbend that nail. I got a whole bucket of, of nails. But I think I'm going to bend. And you try to unbend that thing. And so you unbend it and you try to drive it and it just bends again. But now it bends like two different places. And you try to unbend a bent nail and you're just wasting time, time, time unbending a bent nail. Look, you can't. It's a waste of your time. Look at that. There's four good nails. Use those. The idea is don't waste your time on somebody who doesn't want to hear your truth. Don't be, if, if, if you've shared truth and you've tried it a second time, don't, don't get mad at them. Don't hate them. But you need to just say, okay, there's somebody else that wants to be nailed. Somebody else that wants the truth. And go to them. Then the last thing he says is this. He says this by, by what he says. That is, treat your brothers and sisters graciously. Look, every brother and sister in Christ has problems. And, but every brother and sister in Christ needs you to be gracious to them, just like you want people to be gracious to you. Be gracious. People make mistakes. People do things wrong. People do things that are hurtful. But be gracious to them. Here's what he says. He says uh, in verse 12, he says, When I shall send Artemis unto thee, and Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me in Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter." He said, look, I'm sending these two guys to come and get you. When they come and get you, would you please come and visit me? Isn't that interesting? Paul said, I really want to see you. Would you please come when I send somebody to get you? He says, uh, and bring Zenos, the lawyer. Obviously, he's in legal trouble again. Bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. Hey, when you bring, Apoll- when you bring uh, Zenos and Apollos, make sure they're taken care of. Make sure their travel needs are taken care of. Treat them right. And then he says, and, and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. That is, we're telling other people to live this way Let's us live this way too. Let's, let's treat others well. And then it says, all that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you. Says, he says five different things. He says, come and visit us. And then he says, take care of the travel needs of your friends. And then he says, Let, let's determine to do good work. And, let's, and, and would you just greet our friends? Make sure you greet your friends and then live in grace. Treat your brothers and sisters graciously. To summarize, Paul says this. Paul says here, 
You want to reflect Christ? You want to reflect Christ to the maximum? To the maximum? You want to maximize your reflection of Jesus Christ? Submit to authority. Do good works. Treat people well. Remember who you were. That'll help you treat people well when you remember who you were when God saved you. Have a grateful heart because he changed you. You're not that piece of junk. He changed you. You're that beautiful truck. Avoid foolish questions. Don't be spinning your wheels, spinning your wheels, trying to convince somebody to want to hear the truth. And then treat your brothers and sisters graciously. When somebody differs with you on something, just love them anyway and do everything you can to show them the grace of God. When you do that, you will maximize your life. You'll maximize your influence for the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll maximize your reflection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us to take the truth that's here and help us to live it. God, it's easy to talk, but help us to walk your truth. I pray, Father, if there's someone in here that's not saved, that right now you would save them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.